Good to see you. Good to be seen. Yeah, no worries. Look, people here haven't got a clue who you are. Some might. Troy knows who I am. I was listening to the radio the other night. Where's Sean? Sean knows who I am. There's two people who know who I am. Yeah, well, I was listening to the radio the other night, and you were on it. So are you famous? Oh, in some country town. Yeah, sure. In Bathurst. (laughs) All right. So tell us... What does a uh, what does an average week look like for you, Scott? Who are you? What do you do? Where are you from? Okay, so I'm a singer songwriter. Um, I my fifth record will be out on November the 11th. So if you want to take your phones out now and make a calendar entry, <laughs> that's when you legally download it from iTunes. Or if you no. want a copy, just email. Oh, yeah, no, what? no, keep going. Right. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, play music. Um, I'm an ex-school teacher, so like Troy, I'm an ex passionate about education. Um, and these days I sort of do a mix of things. I sing and speak in about 100 high schools here around the world. I uh, use my music and my profile to connect with students and teachers and talk about Aboriginal culture and reconciliation. Um, and really it's just about humanism, I think. Um, and do that in corporate business as well. And so I do the regular music thing and I do sort of stuff that I'm passionate about. Um, That's great. So the... <coughs> We've talked about this before. Yeah. The question on everyone's li- um, mind when they see you talking is, you don't look like an Aboriginal fella. Well, some people do, but then some people don't. Like, I was at the airport last week, and it was chockers because it was like Sunday when all that wind was going around, and all of our flights got delayed, and it was packed, and then these two Aboriginal ladies from up north come and sat down. They go, you're a black fella, aren't you? I said, how do you know that? They go, your little nose and your face. <laughs> I had this one, actually, I had this one girlfriend before I met my wife, and she saw I was playing at a gig. And she came up to me, she goes, you, she'd grown up in Cairns, she goes, you're Aboriginal, aren't you? I go, how'd you know that? She goes, oh, I can tell from your little nose and your bandy Murray legs. Um, <laughs> and I, honestly, I'm not even lying, I've never worn shorts in public since. <laughs> I'm not even joking. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, something, but yeah, for a lot of people, they look at me and they don't understand. And it's really quite simple. If you've got a parent or a grandparent who's not Aboriginal, often you look like that sort of family. So my mum's Aboriginal, but my dad's not. So you look like you're out of an IKEA catalogue, but you're actually an Aboriginal person. So, got dark skin friends, family, cousins. The best way to describe it, I'm like a coconut that got turned inside out. <laughs> I am basically an undercover stealth mode Chuck Norris black man, and I sneak around looking for racists everywhere I go. And I've just spent a week in Queensland. It's been busy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I, can't, I feel like I covered that. Yeah. You're in. It's all good. good. Okay. All right. Done. So. <laughs> One thing we, we, we're struggling with is um, some terminology yep. around uh, Indigenous, mm. Aboriginal, Aborigine, Blackfella, mm. Torres Strait Islanders. Where, where do we go with that? Oh, I think it's like anything, you know. If you, life's all about relationships. So you and me are mates, right? We've known each other for a while and I would consider you a friend and a mate. So you could probably say things to me that I would maybe want to fight someone else for saying if that makes sense. Sure. So, you know, you can sit there and go, you're a black fella, and I go, yeah, I know, because I know your heart and I know who you... But if some of these fellas said it, I'd probably be offended. But, you know, so it's all about your relationship with people, but generally Aboriginal, First Australian or Indigenous Australian, yep. Aboriginal. So I'll just chop or, in there. Can you see how we've had three people... This is the third Aboriginal person who's, who's talked from here, and we've got three slightly different... Um, responses to that question it's about relationship the level of relationship in the context determines your language okay so um you're gonna sing us a song 
Why don't you um, get ready and t- tell us about it? Um. Months ago, I would have gone, well, I'm not just a singer. You know, I'm an advocate. I'm a spokesman for a, for a charity. I'm an educator. I'm all of these. I'm not just a singer, you know. And then a year and a half ago, I, I was trying to put a trailer on my Kingswood and I my wedding ring caught on it. And um, it ripped all that skin up there and then the trailer dropped on this middle finger and cut the end of it off except for this one little bit of skin. And then so the skin was flapping around and there's all this blood coming out and... My wife wouldn't drive me to hospital because she refused to drive my Kingswood, so I drive myself to hospital. And um, two lots of plastic surgery, and the doctor goes, you're not going to play music anymore and because uh, you can't push the strings down. And At that point, I'm laying in hospital, and God goes, you know what? Because you think about everything. You really question why you do what you do, like all these questions. You know, and God goes to me, mate, you know, you're out there doing what you can. Because I've always boasted about it, if I'm honest. Like, you know, I'm, music's only just a vehicle, so I can really do what I'm passionate about. And that's true, but... Sing songs and write songs for me. That's okay, because you know, King David was a songwriter. It's not a terrible thing. And, um, yeah, God goes. Look, if you if you do a thing, if you pulled your head in, be a bit less arrogant. Maybe you could leave, make even more difference with people. So I'd finished a record in LA with my band, and all the tracks on it I'd written except for one, which is a song you probably heard before. It's called Solid Rock, and um. I did a version of it that's quite different. And because it's different, I rang Shane Howard, who's the fellow who wrote it, and I said, I've done a version of your song. If you don't like it, I won't release it because um, I need your blessing. You're my hero. And he listened to it. And he goes, mate, it's different. I really dig it. It's cool, you know. And I said, well, how about we come back to Melbourne and we'll re-sing the vocals as a duet together? And I didn't think he'd say yes because he's Shane Howard. And he goes, mate, I'd love to. So then I get to record with one of my heroes, which is unbelievable. Um... So we decided we'd release that to radio. Now, you don't just ring up Triple M and go, could you please play my songs? You've got to have a public... Because I've stayed away from record labels and all that stuff. You've got to have a publicist. You've got to have a radio plug. It costs a lot of money. And so we found some cash and sold a van and we went to radio. And um, as a part of that, you've got to do a video. And so my wife and I were sitting there watching a TV news report on Reclaim Australia. You know them fellas? And we're watching them. And they had their masks on. They were protesting, getting real angry and just, you know, you can't live here because you're not from Australia. Aussie, 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 you know. And I watched them, they get real angry and hateful. And then I laughed my head off because I thought some of these fellas here probably barracked for Carlton. Um, <laughs> and they probably used to go to the footy and cheer for Cooter. We love you, Cooter, you're an Aussie legend. Except his dad's Greek, his mum's Italian. I thought they've probably stood in a pub on Australia Day. Love you. And our Australian anthem should be K-San. <laughs> well, the last plane out of Sydney is almost gone. Except Jimmy Barnes wrote that, he's from Scotland. They've probably stood there overseas feeling homesick on their backpacking going, I come from a land down under, which was written by Colin Hay from Scotland. They probably paid $150 last year to go to the Melbourne Zoo to watch the John Butler trio because John Butler's an amazing ARIA-winning songwriter. But he was born in America and he lived there till he was 10. The country you all call Australia that you love is made up of 24 million people that were born. So many of us were born overseas or our parents were. Just raise your hand if you or your parents were born overseas, please. Keep your hands up and look around the room. And I want to say to you that you, and as an Aboriginal man, I'm telling you, you are no less Australian than I am. We are all one mob. We're Australians together and we live here on sacred ground. And the people who've come from other countries have brought stuff that's made this such a better country. Like, how much do you love having a big, fat, dirty kebab at two o'clock, I mean, nine o'clock at night? <laughs> yeah. You know. So we wanted to remind Australia that... We wanted to remind this country that the melting pot is amazing and that we are all God's children. So I rang every celebrity I knew who was born overseas or their parents were and I said, would you please be in my video, hold an Aboriginal flag to pay respects to the elders 
and wear a T-shirt of the country you're from with a flag on it, just like this, you know. So everyone did except John Butler, who turned around and said, mate, I'm not wearing that American flag T-shirt. And I said, you can do whatever you want, you're John Butler. <laughs> he wrote Zebra. Um, so we ended up getting 15 different celebrities, and um, we had a meeting with Triple M Radio, who said, look, we might play it a couple of times on Homegrown. We'll see. Nothing more we can promise. And I thought, well, that's the best 10 grand ever spent. Then the next day they added across the board to every rock station in the country. It was the most played rock song in Australia for over a month right through February. They shared our video on social media on Australia Day and it went viral as crap. It had 200,000 views in two days. And God is amazing because he's really just opened up this door to have this conversation with so many people that would never hear it otherwise. Um, so this is my version of Shane Howard's amazing song. Hope you guys dig it. About a chosen place, I want to sell it in the marketplace. Well, just a minute now, We're standing on solid rock, We're standing on sacred ground, We're living on. on Borrowed time and the winds of change blowing down the line down the line down around the dawn of time dreaming of a gun proud people come Leading their promised land Running from the heart of darkness Searching for the heart of light Must have been paradise Standing on solid rock Standing on sacred ground We're living on our Power time, I'm in the winds of change, blowing cold that night. Felt that sting, white man, white girl, white girl, 
tell me that it's justified Don't hear that lie Someone knows Standing on solid rock Standing on sacred ground Living on borrowed time I'm going to change Going down the line Solid rock Standing on sacred ground Living on borrowed time I'm going to change Going down the So, um, we're talking about the wound. From your from your perspective, is that still happening today? You want, can you use it? Oh, I can use yep. it. Yep. Um, yeah, oh, definitely. Hard to even know where to start, but the reality is. Is that working? You got to you got to switch it on. Oh, turn it on. Yeah. yeah. Am I on? No, you're on. I just was not. Oh, good. You know, I think one of the things that an Aboriginal person hears often is, that happened ages ago. Get over it. Like, the goodsy stuff. How many of you saw last year Adam Goods was getting booed when he played footy? Yeah? Now, it's funny because I'm an Aboriginal person and a lot of my mates, I'm the only Aboriginal person they know. So if there's an issue, they'll ring me. You know, if they want to talk about something Indigenous, they'll ring me. Oh, one mate, Rusty rings me. Darlo, I met an Aboriginal on the train. His name's Neville. Do you know him? Oh, that actually happens, you know. And one of the things that I heard the most was people going, you know what, Adam Goods, he's a sook. Adam Goods needs to go to Bunnings and get a bag of cement and harden up. And initially that that conversation, that comment would make me wild. But what I realised has actually been a positive thing because it allows you to have a conversation. See, one of the furfies that gets thrown around is, oh, that happened ages ago, get over it, you know. The reality is that everything that has happened since 1770 is connected to today. Right? See, because what happened in 1770 affected what happened in 1780, and that affected what happened in 1790. You know, if you want to do a really, really, and I know we're pressed for time, but if you want to do a very quick history timeline, you can look at the fact that in 1770, when they first got here, they decided that this country was uninhabited. And that was because they believed genuinely that if your skin was black, you're an animal. And they believed that so strongly that they declared it to be terra nullis because they went, there's no humans living here. They believed it so strongly that in 1901, when they wrote the Australian Constitution, they included Indigenous people as flora and fauna, they didn't include it in the census. So the outfall of that meant that we didn't have the same basic human rights as any other human in this country. You could step off a boat as a 10-pound pom and have more rights than the minute your toe touched the ground as, as the people who'd lived here for thousands of years. We were denied basic school rights, education, health care, weren't allowed to vote. I mean, think about a World War II veteran who comes home and sees every other soldier he gets served alongside of get given not only war medals but given a house for being a war hero, except he doesn't because he's flora and fauna. You know, think about the fact that until the early 1980s, school principals of government schools were allowed to and did, particularly in Queensland WA, turn around and go, we don't have Aboriginal kids in our schools. 
Did you say 1980s? 80s. 1980s. Now, when I heard that from my elders, I'll be honest with you, I, I go, oh, there's probably a bit of mail on, mail on that story. I was in Tassie last year at Mount Carmel College. A 12-year-old little girl goes, I know all about that. I said, how did you know that? She goes, she told me her uncle, who was in his 30s, early 30s, grew up in New South Wales, small country town, 12 kids had to be enrolled on January 31 or the school closes down. One school for everyone. And then the kids have got to bus up to the next town. So you can imagine every year this town, they're freaking out going, we need to get our school open because if we don't have 12, we've got to get 12 kids in. One particular year, they're freaking out because they only had 10 kids and they're about to lose their school. All the while, they had three Aboriginal children up the road busting to learn how to read. But in the end, they enrolled two three-year-olds into prep to keep that school open. See, think about what that does. One of the biggest problems we've got with Indigenous kids today is attendance. We're just not turning up at school. But think about it. You've got parents and grandparents who sit there going, you know what, they never wanted us. That's whitefella stuff. What do you want that for? You know, and so the stuff that happened over the last two years, it's, it's kind of like cumulative damage. And you can't just sit there. The, the Adam Goods thing, right? I love it when people go, mate, he's just, he needs to harden up because it allows me to go, did you know, you know, all this history, did you know that we weren't considered human, blah, blah, blah. The reason they started taking our kids from the women was because they turn around and go, well, them ones there, they're not total black, they're not total animals. We can salvage them, we can breed them out, we can save them. Did you know that Adam Goods, who, by the way, is, I, I laugh my head off when people go, oh, he's a flog or whatever because he's, he's one of the best blokes you'd ever meet. He's a mate of mine, he's a ripping bloke. His mum's earliest memories of being taken from her mum. See, Goodsy's mum was not as dark as her mum. The whole theory is she wasn't fit to raise her. She was shipped around. She had an abusive, traumatic childhood. Abused in all kinds of ways I won't go into in God's house. She spent her life trying to find her mum. By the time she found her mum, her mum had died. Split from her siblings. When you throw your face over the fence at the MCG and call Adam Goods an ape, you're not actually just throwing a word at him to put him off his game. What you're saying is, hey, Goodsy, all that pain, all that suffering, all that trauma and damage, nothing's changed. You're still filth, you're still an animal, you're still flora and fauna, you don't count, we don't care. And then I get to do this, I'm going to ask you all to do it right now for me, please. Just close your eyes and take a deep breath. And I want you to imagine, don't just think about this, really go there emotionally. Your mum or dad, whoever you're closest to, they sit you down one day and they say, hey, listen, something I never told you because it's just been too hard. But when I was seven, this fella come and took me. The last thing I see in my mind every night when my head is on the pillow and my eyes close is my mother running down a street, tears rolling down her face, screaming, trying to get to the car as we drove off. I was taken from home to home to place to place. I was abused, I was molested. They didn't let me go to school like I wanted to. I have nightmares about it every single day. I've had counselling, I've tried different things, nothing works. This is what I'm going to have to live with till I die. If that happened to your mum or dad, like if that genuinely happened to your family, would you sit back and go, oh, it's no big deal, get over it, happened 30 years ago? Or would you want people to have compassion and understanding for your journey? And if we're honest, of course you would. I've got a good mate, actually, and his sister's here today. Paul often says to me, he'll go, Scotty, I want grace and mercy for myself, but I want justice for everyone else. Isn't that true? So here's the big question. What can we as a community mm. be doing about this? What, what, why should it matter mm. to us as a community yeah. about the state of play mm. since invasion or colonisation, depending on your terminology, mm. to today, with the history affecting today, what's that got to do with us 
mm. here in Wingwood as a community? That's, a, that's yep. our big question today. Super question, Can Pete. you crack it open for us? Because oh, I'm easily. dying to know. Really easily. All right. Why should you care? I get that most of you have probably got a mortgage and children that drive you stupid half the week. You've got jobs that maybe you don't love. You've got sporting commitments. You're busy. You're just trying to survive life. I get that. But the reality is, right, anyone here call themselves a follower of Jesus? Just, if you do, just, just nod your head, just like a Pentecostal altar call style, you know. <laughs> if you don't call yourself a follower of Jesus, what I'm about to say probably doesn't apply to you as much, but it should if you're a decent human. No pressure. But oh, I know I'm probably not the smartest bloke in this room, but I reckon Christians have made the Bible and God and Jesus really complicated when it's actually supposed to be simple, you know. I got told once when you're writing a worship song, write it for the dumbest person in the room. And I feel like God wrote the Bible for the dumbest person in the room, you know. This is one bit where Jesus is hanging out with his 12 best mates. Actually, 11. And um, <laughs> one, one wasn't real flash, it turns out. Um, <laughs> but he's hanging out with his, his best mates. And, and, and the backstory, and you all know the story, but the backdrop of it is that he spent the last three years being awesome and he's been so awesome that he's actually made the Pharisees look real bad. Now, if you don't know what a Pharisee was, a Pharisee was a combination of a political leader and a broken TV evangelist rolled into one, you know. So, like, yeah. They're trying to kill him, and they think up this trick question. They go, hey, teacher, what's the most important commandment in the Bible? Because they think whatever he responds, we tell him he's wrong, we'll kill him for blasphemy. And I would have loved to have seen it, because Jesus, he owns these blokes at this point. He just owns them. He looks at them and he goes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now, obviously, that's important because it's the truth. You've got to love God. That's, that's the, the real deal. But think about it in the context of those, those Pharisees, right? He knows that they are legalistic and litigious. And he knows that anything other than that one commandment, that's what, even if they don't live it, that's, that's what they'll tell everyone. You know what I mean? Like, that's it. That's the zenith of their, of their legality is love God. But then he says this sentence that often, I reckon gets overlooked in this discussion. He says, the second is like it. The second is like it. What I'm about to say to you is as important as loving God. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then just to hammer that point home, he says, all the other words of all the other prophets and all the other commandments hang on this. You want the whole new covenant summed up into one sentence, church? Love God, love each other. Now, I've got to tell you, there's a huge difference between caring for someone and loving someone. Often as Christians, we care for people really well and we think we've done the job. No. Love. That's a hectic thing. Like, it's hard to love people because they're really, they drive you stupid. Have you ever thought how hard it is to love someone as much as you love yourself? That's hectic. So I've come up with this word um, and I think it's a way that we can unpack and do that commandment on a daily basis. And I share this word with like 100,000 teenagers every year in Australia, corporate businesses. It's going off to such a degree that my lawyer, my mate, my best mate, his older brother's a lawyer, and he made the mistake 15 years ago of going, mate, anytime you want legal work, I'll do it pro bono. <laughs> He's spewing now. But we're, we're trade, like this thing's going off. We're trademarking this word. There's a website being built. Schools use it in their curriculum. Businesses are using it in their charter. The word I've come to share with you today is flute. Can you say that? Let me flute. Flute stands for five key words. Forgiveness. I could spend 20 minutes telling you about how important forgiveness is, but the one thing I'll say to you on it is this. You know, God, right through the Bible, he tells us we've got to forgive, we've got to forgive, we've got to forgive. He does it because he loves us. You ever met an old, miserable, bitter and twisted person? You know how they turn out that way? It's because they don't forgive. 
when, and, and I say this to kids in schools every single day, is when you were born, God's put, he's put a spot right inside of your soul that is meant to carry peace and joy and good things. That's what he put it there for. But when you don't forgive people, the simplest way to put it is you stack cancer in that spot. You know, my mum, she's a retired Baptist pastor, lovely lady. She always go to me because my brother Timmy was what we called hyperactive. <laughs> She'd look at me after he'd flogged me. Son, I know it's hard. You've got to forgive your brother. Be the bigger person. <laughs> you ever heard that expression? I've got a challenge for you all here today. Go home and go through your Facebook feed and your Instagram and all your social media, every single person's name, and then make a list of every person in that list you've got a grudge against, even a tiny grudge. For some of you, it's going to be a long list, right? I'm not going to lie. Some of you are going to be like, right now, 64 gig on your phone won't be enough. Make your list, choose to forgive everyone and do it for your own. You know, God, I don't know how to say this more effectively. Every single person in this room is freaking amazing. There is nobody who is like you. You are all born, I know it sounds corny, but you are all amazing and unique and individual and God loves you so much. And when you choose to not forgive people, you cut short the fullness of the life God intended you to have. It's that simple. You've got to forgive the people in your life. The whole forgiveness thing, yeah. who needs to forgive who with this whole wound? We're Mate, we all about? got to forgive each other. Blackfellas got to forgive you, fellas. Because I can't accept, sit here and expect that you understand my journey and my family's pain. You know, and, and I mean, it starts with the smallest little things of when you got road raged. <laughs> it starts from the big things in your marriages. It starts with everything. We've got to forgive Everything. Jesus doesn't go, well, forgive the things that you think are important and let the rest slide. Forgiveness needs to be a daily way of life and an attitude because what it does is it just becomes part of who you are. It becomes part of your character. And then that flows into race relations. It flows into politics. It flows into everything. It's really actually simple. Yeah, and it's also a massive discussion of what's appropriate at a national level, a local yeah. level, and a personal level. Let's get to the love, loot, the loot bit. Love. Self-explanatory. <laughs> you is for understanding. How many times you, you rock up to work and somebody does something, they act a certain way, you just look at them and go, like, seriously, Wes, how many times do you rock in there to that jewellery shop and somebody's put the wrong price on the diamonds? <laughs> never. <laughs> Doesn't happen, never. does it, mate? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but somebody acts a certain way, you look at them and just go, oh, jeez, that bloke's a, you know. Do you ever stop and wonder where they're coming from? What's their story? I mean, the whole Goodsy story is an amazing How many of you now, does the Goodsy story make sense to you when it didn't 20 minutes ago? Yeah. Understanding is so powerful because what it does is when you make an effort and you go out of your way to, sh- to understand a person and who they are and their journey, it actually makes forgiving and loving them so much easier. T is for tolerance, the ability to put up with things or people that upset or annoy you. When you tolerate a person or a situation, all you're really doing is you're choosing to forgive them straight away. You don't let things escalate to that level where you get the knot in your stomach and you want to flog them with your didgeridoo and run real fast. Anyone here barrack for Collingwood? Did you see a couple of years ago, there was a player from the filth called Marley Williams. Um, you all know Marley Williams, running halfback. He's his kid, he's 22 years old, he goes home to Albany, bottom corner of WA for his summer holidays, he's at the pub, goes out with his mates to catch up, has a wee in the toilets and bogans, see that there's a footy player in the toilets and they went in and flogged him, they bashed him. For no other reason, just to be heroes. He's cut and bruised and bleeding, but he gets out of there and what they didn't know is that Marley Williams knows how to box. He knows how to box. He waits on the street and eventually they leave. He flogged them. I mean, he didn't just flog them, he flogged them. Broke one of their jaw in four spots. Did some real damage. CCTV cameras got the whole thing on TV. He got charged with about six charges of serious assault. Collingwood ended up stumping up for a QC. Otherwise, he's doing two years prison. 
Think about it, right? Here's this guy who's 22. He's spent his entire life working to get drafted. He's given up his entire youth. He's done everything. And finally, he's there. He's making 400K a year. He's living his dream. And somebody does something where he goes, you know what? I'm not going to back down. I'm right. How much do we love being right? We would sooner be right half the time than we would actually be in relationship. It's, it's so stupid. He nearly throws his whole life away over one incident of going, I'm not going to back down. Do you know how many marriages have ended because people want to be right? How many businesses have failed? How many churches have split? Now, I'm not saying you should allow people to treat you like rubbish. Sometimes you'll forgive a person and walk away and never see him again. My wife, most amazing human I've ever met, growing up, her dad wasn't real good. He used to do some really bad stuff to him. She's 100% forgiven him. I can't even begin to imagine how she's done it, but she has. But you know what? He's never met my kids. And that's not because we haven't forgiven him. It's because he's not safe and we protect our children with boundaries. Sometimes you'll forgive a person and never see him again. Forgiveness is what happens in your head and your heart when you think about somebody and when you tolerate a person, you forgive them straight away. You don't let things build up to that next level where you've got it all going on. You cut a problem off at the root source. It's an incredibly powerful tool to have in your arsenal. E, because you were going to ask. I was going to ask. Is for empathy. How would I feel? How many of you felt a little bit emotional when you imagined your mum telling you that story about Goodsy's mum? Yeah. Empathy's amazing, you know. And I think that the whole life of Jesus was about going from God, you know what, I love you so much that I will actually take human form and empathise with what your journey's like and I'll show you. That's how much I love you. That's how much I will empathise. Imagine if everybody in Australia turned around and went, I'm going to show 10% more forgiveness, love, understanding, tolerance and empathy to every person I encounter. Mate, I'd be out of a job. I'd be on the dial surfing every day. I'm not even lying. <laughs> Johnny Howard's surf team. <laughs> hey, we were, um, we've got to wind up. Can we yeah. get, grab another song out for you? That'd be great. So this is the title track to my new album. It's due out on November the 11th. Armistice Day. It's on, out on Armistice Day. Now what happens is if you buy it legally, we chart. Nova won't even look at it if we don't chart. This is an ancient Chinese song called Tune In. <laughs> I like to warm up with this. All right. Do you like that, Jake Barry? <laughs> Not from me, you haven't. I stole haven't that from somebody else last week. So yeah, this is called Sorry, and, and I want to encourage you in this room today, like, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, then it actually means that you look at what he said to do, and you live it every day, and you try your hardest to live that commandment every single day. If you don't do that, if you're not prepared to do that, you're, you're, you're just a Christian.
say what you do? Why can't you see my point today? I look around you, try to tell you it doesn't seem to matter what I say. And people hurting, people crying. Stolen history is here today. It's here to stay. Across the nation, generations feel the sorrow and the shame. Bloodline history, family misery. Look into my eyes and share my pain We're dying inside because of your pride Why won't you say, why won't you say Won't you say Sorry for respect that you've been denied Carried right on with their genocide And yet you choose to say That was yesterday Sorry isn't needed here today Here today Say Sorry for the tears down through the years you've cried. Sorry for respect that you've been denied. Sorry for the tears down through the years you've cried. Sorry for respect that you've been
Finish. I forgot to mention. I forgot to mention one thing. I'm a spokesman for World Visions Indigenous Program, the Australia Program. It's excellent. It's amazing. I've got little wristbands to sell today. All proceeds go to World Vision. They say flute on them. So you remember a little Aboriginal flag. Two dollars each. Five for ten dollars. Special offer for Ringwood. Come see me. Um, and I got some flyers about the program. If you'd like to know more, please come and have a yarn. Thanks. Scott, thank you. It's been brilliant. Great. Thanks for having me. Thank you. You're welcome. I reckon Scott's opened up something for us today that's kind of, kind of just taken us to a new place, because I think we've felt and heard something of joining the stories together. Yeah. So I wonder, just as Luke quietly plays here, you just wonder what God might be saying to you. It's this powerful story in the Bible. Book of Luke, powerful story. Jesus has just been out on the land. He's been filled with God's spirit. He's been tempted in the wilderness. And he comes back to his hometown. As he's standing on the land in his hometown, and they all know him, it's Joseph's son. He goes into the synagogue as just his normal practice, and he stands and they hand him the scrolls, the ancient scrolls. 600-year-old scroll turns to Isaiah he opens it up and he chooses this one place to park his car he goes like this he said the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to tell the poor the good news of God's good merciful favor 
You sent me to announce release to the prisoners, sight to the blind, to set the wounded victims free. To announce the year of God's special favour. That struck me when I saw that. Set the wounded. You see, there's a wound in the spirit of our nation. It goes back 200 years. You and I might stand here today, sit here today and go, what's this got to do with us? Well, Scott's told us. See, we do. We roam these lands and we call them ours. We divide them up. We sell them for exorbitant prices. And then we, we just think differently. We wonder, what's this got to do with us? I don't know where this journey leads us. I don't know where it heads. I don't have any of the answers. But as I listen to Scott, as I listen to Kutcher, as I listen to Arnie Janet, I wonder what God might be saying to us. Just as a lover of humanity and a liver with humility that carries convictions and compassion walking on this skinny road until he comes back and restores a new heavens and a new earth, new land. He sent me to announce release to the prisoners and sight to the blind to set the wounded victims free. To announce the year of God's special favour. You know, as soon as he said this, he said these words because they said, you're just Joseph's son, aren't you? What's so good about you? And he came back and he said, let me tell you the truth. Prophets never get accepted in their own country. This is the solemn truth. There were plenty of widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, the great prophet, that when times were tough and heaven was shut up for three years and six months and there was a great famine all over the land. I tell you what, Elijah was sent to none of them of the house of God, the people of Israel, God's people, only to a widow widow in the Sidonian town of Zarephath. And then he goes on and he says, just one more dagger into the heart of the people there. He says, and there were plenty of people with virulent skin diseases in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet. And none of them was healed. But there was this Syrian king, an outsider, an outcast, an unclean, a Gentile. And his name was Naaman. God reached out to him and healed his wound. They were so angry and filled with rage that Jesus would dare name an outsider as someone that God would love like an insider. So it says they took him to a hill. So filled with rage they wanted to throw him off. They threw him out of town. They wanted to kill him right there and then. Jesus walked through. It wasn't his time. What's this to do with us? What has this got to do with us? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to tell the poor the good news. He has sent me to announce release to the prisoners and sight to the blind to set the wounded. Whoever you are, no matter how far or how close you are from God, he has set the wounded victims free. And that applies to our first peoples, the first peoples. They are first. First. To announce the year of the Lord's special favour.
So it was a young boy centuries before, and his his name Samuel. Eli said, "Are you hearing God right?" He got up out of bed and he came. He said, "Is that you speaking to me?" He said, "Nah." Now, I reckon it might be the Lord, the creator, the God of heavens and earth. He might be whispering to you. Open up a new conversation for you. Speak, Lord, was the prayer this little boy prayed. For your servant is listening. This morning here, if you call yourselves a servant of Jesus, and as Kat sings this song, I'd invite you, if you want to join in, you can. Just stay seated. If you want to just open your hands up and kind of just posture yourself. God, will you speak to me? Because I'm just wanting to listen. Maybe you feel like an outsider, but really God reckons you're an insider because Jesus is for you too. Then you can pray no matter how far away you feel from God. Just say, will you speak to me too, God? I want to get to know you. And he does. He'll come. Whatever you sense God saying to you, unless it's something really bad, do it. Do it. So you hear the words of this song. If you want to join in, you can. If you just want to listen, just listen. Speak, Lord.